Hello and thank you for tuning into Dream Slam, an all-women's wrestling podcast. I'm your host, Psycho Sawyer. Thank you for tuning in. Our first piece of news for this week is that Diamante has been released from Impact Wrestling. She had been a member of the LAX faction and got injured on during July 2017. She had one match after her return and is now a free agent. Dakota Kai is undergoing an, an, an ACL surgery and has no return date estimated yet. Ember Moon is also undergoing an emergency surgery on her elbow. She says that she was injured during the Women's Royal Rumble, but there's been no specifics put out to when it is that that happened, but that's really not the most important part. We do hope they get better soon. This week on Raw, Bailey had a match against Ronda Rousey, which really had Bailey up on Rousey for the most part. Rousey was also rattled by the crowd not being on her side, but she did get, end up going over in the match. At the end, Becky came out and challenged Rousey for her title at WrestleMania. It was edited out of the TV cut of Raw as well that Bailey and Becky both splashed the four horsemen symbol at each other. Rousey was still very worked up. Uh, her promo was not well delivered. Her genuine emotions are great, but they're being either they're either being bottled by her own restraint and her own like unwillingness to be that heel that we know she can be, or by heavy scripting. And I feel like if they would relax and let her work inside of what she's very capable of doing, we would probably see a better result. Nia Jackson Tamina came out later in the program and cut off Dean Ambrose's promo, baiting him for a fight. This was also the first of two tag qualifying matches for Elimination Chamber for the debuting women's tag titles. We saw Nia Jax and Tamina beat Natalia and Dana Brooke, as well as the Riot Squad and beat Alexa Bliss and Mickey James. Both winners are already kind of established tag teams. It seems very reasonable that they were the ones that went over. I prefer for my wrestling to not be something I can figure out at the beginning of the match when it starts what might be happening. SmackDown opened this week with a third consecutive Becky promo. Charlotte came down to take credit for Becky's success, and this ended up being a pull-apart Charlotte attacked Becky's injured knee during the promo as well. We will talk about that a little later on. Becky threw probably one of the best straight punches we've seen on, like, we've seen in wrestling for a while. It, it's been described as a very Jerry Lawler punch. And Jerry Lawler actually spoke on his podcast about Becky requesting advice on how to throw punches. I think it was... I am excited they've had the women open the show repeatedly. I am worried about it starting to get repetitive and maybe not cared about as much if it is the same the same woman getting the same style of promo every week, week on and week on. It will get worn out. I feel like when Seth Rollins used to open Raw every week, it would just got exhausting after a while, and it wasn't that he wasn't doing a good job. It was just that we've seen you do this for the last entire month, and it's a lot harder for us to be excited about hearing about all the great things you did this week when you also did them last week. Mandy Rose finally explained why she's been trying to break up Naomi's marriage. I haven't been covering these spots super much. I find this like a weird kind of gross feeling angle. I'm not going to not acknowledge it. I'm just really not 
sure where they're going in the long term with it. And I almost want to know what the full payoff is before I treat it like it's not any worse than any of the terrible bikini contest angles that they used to have in the 90s and in the early 2000s. Mandy Rose justified her actions by saying that Naomi had called her weak when she was on Tough Enough and got Tamina to splash her, which gave her a complex and messed with her so bad that she got broken up with. Which is such a strange stretch. Like, there is the footage of this. Mandy Rose did say that her and Sonia Deville are going to be focusing on other things because they are very interested in women in winning the women's tag titles. And I feel like that's going to be a benefit to the whole program overall. They seem like a very functional team. I'd prefer they not be just a functional team when they're up on their own bullshit. On NXT, we had a tag match between Io Shirai and Kairi Sane versus Marina Schaefer and Jessamine Duke. For anybody that's listening, if you could answer me if Schaefer's face is actually injured or not. I would appreciate it. We've seen her not wear the mask when she's not having matches, um, but it doesn't seem like the most functional protective one. Like the the mask that Trish had and I th- believe the one that Cody Rhodes had was like more padded and away from the face. And this one seems like almost like KT tape. If it is a like if it is a safety thing or a preventative thing or if it's just a work, please give me a heads up on this, because I genuinely don't know, and I find it very confusing. Io's work is still as beautiful and crisp as it was when she was in stardom. I feel like we get the fear when we see people sign on to WWE. Perhaps going to NXT first is the solution, that they're going to lose some of the sparkle and the things that actually got them there in the first place. But we haven't seen any qualitative drop in her work, which I think is really great. Duke tries to work her size, but isn't really able to hold her own yet. They, Duke and Schaefer do work well as a tag team, and they did have their spots where they were really functional, but you can definitely tell that they're much less experienced. I do also feel like all the girls we've seen coming in from MMA have a very, very similar style of wrestling. Like you can, I feel like you can see the lineage of it. I wonder if this is actually a separate style, or if it's just a coincidence. This match really set up the tag potential between uh, Sane and Shirai, though. Like, Duke and Schaefer are pretty synchronous, but Io and Kyrie have been talking about wanting to go up to the main roster to actually, like, be eligible for the women's tag titles. And the way they've been carrying them through NXT seems like that would be a really valid thing to do. However, they don't normally call people up until after WrestleMania. So that's where I wonder if this is actually a call or if it's just a nice little wish. The Royal Rumble opened with Becky Lynch versus Asuka. I had expected it to open with one Rumble and close with the other one like they had in the previous years. But with the results of how these matches turned out, it's actually... This is one of only two really strong options we had for how the show was going to go. There was a very aggressive start and very creative work from both parties, which stayed pretty intense throughout the whole match. There was fantastic use of ropes with the submissions, 
a very high umpa- uh, high impact offense like we saw an Oscar Locke through the ropes. I thought it was going to turn into a tarantula, but I was really excited with how that went. And we also saw Becky go for the disarm her through the ring post. But Lynch absolutely met what Asuka brings to the table. There's been some of the matches Asuka has had, especially since being called up from NXT, have seen her definitely like playing down her skills more to meet who she's working with. And I feel like Lynch actually just stepped up to the plate. There was a messy suplex attempt, I believe, on the apron landed, which landed a lot like a fisherman buster. And I feel like both parties really lost some steam. Like, both parties ended up exchanging submissions until Asuka managed to sink in a a Mutalock-style submission rather than the Asuka-lock for the win. This was a great match, which ended up being a little hard to follow. We did actually, I feel like we saw the men's tag match after this kind of suffer a little bit for it. None of the workers did a bad job. And the crowd was, like, nice and hot from that match. But it's also, when you get a crowd so hot and ready to cheer for one person, it's really hard to just also gently pass them whoever's next, unless they're going to keep upping the ante. And I really don't feel like that match did. The next women's match on the card was uh, Sasha Banks versus Ronda Rousey. I found their gear weirdly similar, and I found out after the fact that they were actually made by the same person. I, this is not relevant to the quality of the match. It was a thing that kept catching my attention while I was watching it, though. The match opens with a little bit of chain wrestling, but Banks quickly moved to a more targeted offense, and she very heavily focuses on Ronda Rousey's arm. Ronda got in less offense in this match than she had in previous ones. Like, same with that reference to the Raw match that happened after the Rumble. Each match Rousey has, she gets a little less in. She's a little less dominant. I feel like this is a nice way to potentially be breaking this streak, but I really want to avoid doing any armchair booking in this case. Um, Banks really felt like a credible threat. Rousey did get the armbar on her on the outside, but obviously that's not useful. Banks and Rousey were pretty shot for shot on pin and tap out attempts as we got towards the end of the match. Rousey ended up in an assisted Banks statement via Sasha Banks' broken arm strap which ended up working through a Kimura, a Kimura and a Fujiwara armbar with small joint manipulation. So in that case, what we mean is she was like starting from the fingers and the hands. Because if you can bend, you can start working from somebody's hand and you can work up their arm, you have a lot better control of their body. It's seen more commonly in British wrestling. If you look at like Johnny Saint, uh, William Regal, Pete Dunne does this very excellently, like he starts from the fingertips and he works back through the hand and then the elbow and the shoulder. It's very tidy and very clean looking. Rousey actually won this match on a pinfall and did try to be a good sport. Even though Sasha didn't get a win in this match, she did raise the bar for what you have to bring to the table to fight Rousey. Uh, She had actually put up a video showing that she was training separately for this match than she had for anything else. 
I feel like this is really opening, like, if Rousey's keeping the title for longer, we're just going to have to see people trying harder and harder to get through that wall. And that's only, like, regardless of how you feel about Ronda Rousey, that's very good for overall the women's wrestling that's happening in that company. Directly after this match was the Women's Royal Rumble. I had expected this one to maybe close the show. It's obviously fine that it didn't. It filled its spot really well. I feel like we also got to keep in, like, keep the the hot crowd while we had it, which was really nice. There was a handful of entrants from NXT. Those were Io Shirai, Kyrie Sane, Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Casey Catanzano. I don't think I said that right. And Zaya Lee. Maria Kanellis was also the only, like, unexpected or retro pick for this match. Charlotte did dominate the match, having six eliminations. And then there was a four-way tie for second most eliminations with three each. And that went to Ruby Riot, Rhea, Rhea Ripley, Bailey, and Nia Jax. Becky replaced an injured Lana, only to get injured herself during the match. Lana had been injured during the pre-show when Shinsuke Nakamura knocked her off the apron and she rolled her ankle, which is a thing we haven't seen her do for a really long time. Liv Morgan was immediately eliminated through the match. Like, she just ran pretty much right off of Natalia's shoulders and out, to the other out the other side of the ring. Upon being called down, Billy Kay waited on the apron for Peyton Royce and refused to get in the ring until her friend arrived. Zia Lee looked great. Uh, like, Zia Lee looked great with everything she did in the match. She was one of the few people in it that you looked at and you kind of knew she wasn't going to win, but you were still really happy with everything she was putting out into the match. Maria also hit all of her moves pretty well. Um, she didn't do a ton... She tried to break a hat, and that didn't work. But overall, her showing in the match was pretty decent, considering like what, like what, how she's been regarded as a worker in the past. In fact, she hasn't really been wrestling now. The only thing I feel like she did terribly sloppy was how she got eliminated. Mandy Rose also got an illegal assist on eliminating Naomi, which is going to further carry their feud forward. Zelina Vega was very quickly into this match and it went out through the bottom rope and hung, hung out under the ring. I thought it was very cute that she actually came out with the Street Fighter, like the Vega Claw and Mask, as I feel like that's not a thing people have considered her name might be from. She did quickly go under the ring, but she also jumped on Candice LeRae immediately. The two of them had had a feud in NXT when they, uh, their, their respective people, they were managing refuting. Uh, the Riot Squad ganged up on Kairi Sane only to have Io Shirai come in immediately after Sane's elimination and get revenge on all of them. Casey dodged an elimination only to be chucked out by Rhea Ripley and I believe that's the one we're seeing the most clips of online where she had walked over to one of the ring posts on her hands and grabbed around it with her legs and like koala bared up the ring post it was kind of cool and I felt like it was a hilarious end to it that she put so much work into getting back in the ring just to get dumped out like a paper bag Hornswoggle we found out had been under the ring with Zelina Vega the entire time 
she attempted to run away from him and ended up running through the ring, which got her eliminated. Alexa Bliss's arrival got a huge pop. The crowd was... I wonder if they hadn't announced it on Raw the week previous, if it would have gotten a better reaction. I don't think it would have taken away from anything that was happening in the ring. To be honest, I don't know why they really had to pop that. But she did have a decent showing in the match. Uh, Bailey came in super hot near the end and got two eliminations immediately. Nia Jax attacked and injured Lana, who was trying to make her way to the ring, only to have Becky replace her, as we did bring up previously. After Nia was eliminated, she attacked Lynch and injured her leg. There has been some arguing back and forth online about whether it's a real or a fake injury. I... It seemed validly injured enough to me. If she's lying, she's doing a good enough job that I'm not really going to second-guess it. The crowd reaction for Becky getting the final elimination on Charlotte was amazing. It isn't captured nearly as well through the WWE's cameras. What you actually want to do is see if you can find the crowd cameras from the people that were watching, like, actually in person. She's... It was a really special spot for them to get to give her and have her go over in it. And I really feel like this might be the right program to keep running with her. Like, I feel like it's going to be nothing but good in the end. We're also going to talk a little bit about the men's rumble. If you haven't seen the rumble, I've spoiled so many things for you. And also, this is like, this is a spot you might have heard of otherwise because it reignited an argument that I... I'm quite unhappy about hearing one side of online. Uh, R-Truth had won the number 30 spot by winning the Mixed Match Challenge, him and Carmella. He started making his entrance only to be cut off by Nia Jax, who immediately like got in the ring and started bull-baiting the boys. Uh, she eliminated Mustafa Ali and was just really playing like she was like this big hot thing that can't be touched. She ended up taking a super kick, an RKO, and a 619 before she was eliminated. And, yeah, this this ties in with that Dean Ambrose segment on Raw that maybe they are... Maybe they're pushing for just her to be the person who starts doing more intergender wrestling. Considering that you have Candice LeRae in NXT and she's somebody who got pretty much famous on doing that, there's a ton of options, and she doesn't have to be your only one. I also wonder if having her in that position is because they know that she's not well-received by people. Like, she's got a ton of heat. And as as a heel, I can definitely say that I've had enough heat that I've been, like, popped in the mouth by a dude and the crowd has cheered a guy for hitting me. It's different in wrestling. It's not... I feel like a lot of the arguments against intergender wrestling really invalidate the fact that this is a job that we choose to do and that we can opt out of. And it's it's mutual. Like, it, it's consensual. It's not like somebody blindfolded Nia Jax and let her out into the ring and then she got beat up by a bunch of guys. That's not remotely what happened. I feel like this is a great topic. For another time and I am excited to see what it is they maybe do 
I don't know that I 100% trust it yet. Sue Young and Allie tagged against Kira Hogan and Jordan Grace on Impact Wrestling this week. Jordan Grace was immediately ganged up on by Sue Young and Allie. She was definitely able to defend herself. She is a very strong and competent wrestler, but was also overwhelmed by the two of them constantly tag-teaming her. There, there was a double down at which Allie and Jordan Grace were attempting to make tags and the lights cut out. When they came back up, Rosemary had taken Sue Young's place. Allie freaked out and Kira got an easy pin for the win on this match. I'd like to see Kira Hogan get to do more and more in matches. I've seen her wrestle for a handful of different companies online and she's definitely somebody who can work really well and she has a lot of potential. And... I just feel like she deserves better than either taking a pin or getting a roll-up on somebody once in a while. Rosemary disappeared again after Allie got pinned. They're very much teasing Rosemary's return in, and I just don't want it to be at the expense of the actual work the women are getting to do. It is a weird storyline, and I just want to make sure that people are adequately looked after in this. I also have no say in it. We're also going to be covering the show that Stardom ran on January 27th. So you're able to watch Stardom through their website, stardomworld.com. They do stream, they do have a YouTube channel as well. And I understand that there's a few Japanese versions of YouTube that you can watch their stuff through pretty easily. They're not a hard company to find. They post clips of their matches on Twitter and they're pretty easy to keep up with. They update probably more consistently than every other like Joshi streaming service I've found. I had a hard time finding where to give them my payment method, but once I figured that out, it was fine. I'm really excited to cover them. Um, Ayo Shirai and Kairi Sane are two pretty big stars in NXT, and they're both from stardom. Tony Storm has also worked with them a lot. And Viper, who did the Mayan Classic as Piper Niven. Five out of six matches on this card were also tag matches, which I didn't realize until I had, like, watched four of them. The first is a trios match between Kaori Yokoyama, Ruka, and Saya Ida versus Hanan, Hina, and Rina. It opens with a handshake. You know, there's a, it's a cute little open. There's lots of good building blocks here. The first team is definitely the rookies. Like, Ruka is 14. Saida says it's her third match. They do hit a cute tag match with a pose in the middle of the ring, but they do get cut off by the vets. There was a triple threat double knee bar, which was kind of cool to see from the more veteran team of Hanan, Hina, and Rina. There's some good basics and teamwork. I feel like... Ruka was really well featured in this match. Maybe she's somebody we're going to see a big push for when she gets more skills together. But she did, definitely didn't do anything that poorly. Um, Hanan got pinned on an O'Connor roll by Hokiyama. By Yonayama, I mean. Overall, it wasn't a bad match. It's a short little opener. If you would have missed it coming into the show, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. But there was definitely some good things for the future there. The next is another tag match between Alex Garcia Alex Gracia actually 
and Saki Kashima versus Natsu Sumire and ja- Jamie Hayter. Alex Gracia and Saki Kashima refer to themselves as Team Pink. They both have matching pink gear. They're very cute and bubbly and happy to be there. They try to start clean but take, get taken over by Natsu and Jamie right away. Saki was pretty well controlled until Natsu missed a dropkick in the corner and softened up Nat- um, and then Saki got to soften up Natsu for Alex. Jamie and Saki are legal. They both try to cut each other off the same way, ending with them being tangled up in the corner. Natsu hits a double Bronco Buster, and I read it as accidentally taking out her tag team partner, but if you look at the clip from the start on Twitter, they imply that Natsu just decided Jamie was going to take one for the team. Uh, This left Jamie open to taking a lot of damage from Team Pink. She does come back to life and actually gets a pin on Alex. It wasn't a bad match. Um, Natsu's definitely more a bit more of a comedy character. Like she's very big and dramatic. There's some good tag work in it. Uh, it was a bit stronger than the first trios match we saw, but also these are people that are definitely not having their third match ever. Next tag match on the card is Starlight Kid and Arya Hoshiki versus Konami and AZM. Starlight Kid and Arya are team stars. They offer and are rebuked on a handshake attempt at the beginning of the match. There's a strong kick exchange at the beginning between Arya and AZM. And Starlight Kid tags in and really picks the pace up. She ends up taking a beat down until Hoshiki gets tagged back in. There's some... Good fire and offense, but she also gets taken over by Konami. AZM looks like she has Hoshiki down for the count, but does but Starlight does get tagged back in. She had some beautiful moves, reminiscent of the kind of thing we saw out of Ayushirai. And she's definitely being often flagged as somebody to keep an eye on for in the future. Um... I believe it was Konami got rolled up after missing a shooting star press. There wasn't as much for actual tag team work, but all the wrestling was still solid. I'd much rather see this as like two separate singles matches than a tag match. The next match after this was Mayu and Tam Nakano versus Bobby Tyler and Hannah Kimura. Maya and Tam work really well. They're an actual proper tag team, and they have belts, and you can tell that this is a thing they do definitely a bit more often. Hannah really stood out on having more skill and experience than a lot of members in the group. She is somebody who started wrestling very young. Hannah Kimura really stands out on, like, being more skilled and experienced. She really seems like a strong ringleader, and her involvement in the tag spots all turned into like higher and higher points in the matches. Not to say the work around when she wasn't at in was bad, but she definitely brings something to the table that like everybody can work really well with her or against her. There was a series of co-op moves that were done to Tam by Hannah and by Jamie. They were really well combined, but Tam and but Mayu and Tam are a well-oiled machine who definitely picked up a win on this match. The next tag match is Jungle Kiona 
and Natsuka Toria versus Momo Watanabe and Utami Hayashishita. This match started pretty traditionally until Utami got in and went for a bunch of long submission holds on, uh, on Kiona. Natsuko was neutralized early by Momo, leaving Kiona out, out like with the wolves to take all of the shit for her team. Natsuko does tag back in and lays in some heavy work for both of her opponents. Kiona got tagged in quicker than I thought she should have, really, and does end up on top in a strike exchange, but not after taking a lot of strikes from Utami. All of Utami's work in this match really shows why she has multiple titles right now, and Momo does well to match her in a tag partner. They're a very well-suited pair. Natsuko and Kiona are also very resilient opponents. They use, they're, they're good at using their strength and their size to keep their opponents on their toes. They can take a lot of damage and almost play possum until they know that they can get one in on you. Momo does get the pin on Natsuko with a bridging half-Nelson suplex. It's a very well-fought match, like good and intense. I feel like this might be a nice match for somebody to watch who isn't familiar with the product and the people, but who likes good wrestling. The final match on this card is the only singles match. It's the World of Stardom title match between Hazuki and Kagetsu. This match was very deliberately paced. It was balanced as well until Hazuki threw a chair at Kagetsu trying to dive through the ropes and they ended up taking the action to the outside, fighting through the crowd. Hazuki hit a springboard dropkick to bring the action back into the ring and w continuously worked over Kagetsu's head. I noticed when Hazuki was working a headlock that there was blood uh, on the around Kagetsu's knee. But she seemed to be unaffected by this, like it didn't affect her movement at all. Hazuki looked really strong throughout the match. Like Kagetsu's a, a solid veteran. Especially in the context of this match, but like, is a very, very skilled worker and can do some really nice stuff. And their match had a very respectful tone to it as well. They are members of the same faction. It felt like Kagetsu really wanted to see what Hazuki could actually bring to the table in this match. Um, Hazuki was very smart and very aware but her lack of experience compared to her opponent ended up being part of her downfall, pretty much. There was a huge near fall after Kagetsu missed a 450 splash. After using the ref and the blue mist, Kagetsu got back in control of the match and hit. Uh, she hit her 450 splash successfully and went with a leg choke, actually, for the finish. It was a very exciting and fast-paced match, satisfying to watch. Uh, I actually found it hard to take notes because I was very wrapped up in what was happening in the ring. So I don't feel like I covered this as thoroughly as I would like to have. But I also enjoyed it very intensely. Like It was, it was a really nice close to the show. It was a good display of both like respect and talent from both workers, which seems like a hard thing to balance. I, like, I have covered one other mat match that had, like, that had a veteran acting as a leader 
and taking a challenge on from a younger worker. And it reminded me a bit of that in the, like, I felt like Kagetsu was very patient during the match. Like, she wasn't willing to just lay there and take stuff, but it also felt like she was really letting Hazuki work through what she knew and seeing where she could cut her off to make her smarter in the long run. I believe that's all the coverage we have for this week. I don't know what I'm going to be covering for next week. To be honest, if you've been listening and you have any suggestions, whether it be entire match, entire shows, like this one for Stardom, or even individual women's or intergender matches that you can find from other companies, pass them along to me and let me know. You can definitely get a hold of me on Twitter and Facebook at DreamSlamAWWP on either platform. I'd like to send a shout out to the Buckingham uh, in Edmonton on White Ave. They'll be running the next WWE pay-per-view and I'll be hosting wrestling trivia there. Thank you for tuning into Dream Slam and have a great night. <laughs>